Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. So you don't know me, so this is a, a hard question to answer perhaps, but I'm just – You will be fine. You're going to be just perfectly happy. Is that what you're going to say? This is Death, Sex, and Money. Don't you say your goodbyes. Not yet. Do you understand me? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I love this woman and I have to tell her. And need to talk about more. I think I want my money back. I'm Anna Sale. And I know I told you you wouldn't hear from me until after I'm married, but I had a nice conversation with Cindy Shupak, who wrote a book called The Longest Date, Life as a Wife. And I wanted to share it with you before I go off to do this thing. Cindy is an Emmy-winning television writer and producer. She worked on Everybody Loves Raymond, then Sex and the City, then Modern Family. So she's been part of this massive change in the ways we tell stories about marriage and family in America, particularly for women. Cindy grew up in Oklahoma and moved to New York after college. She got married at 25 and then divorced two years later when her first husband realized he was gay. After that, her writing career blew up and she did a lot of dating. She married her current husband, Ian, 10 years ago when she was 40. You know, when I first met Ian, I thought he was the opposite of what I needed because he really didn't seem to want to settle down at all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it really felt like he's not just looking for someone to put in the spot of wife for him. He's he's really kind of fighting every instinct he has and just unable to walk away from me. So it felt sort of solid for both of us, I guess, that we were kind of wanting to walk away from each other and couldn't. You dated for about two years before you married, is that right? Yeah. And and how long were you engaged? Really a short time. It was maybe four months. Does that time of, of deciding to get married before you got married, looking back, is there something you did while you were engaged that you feel that you're glad that you did together? Um, well, I definitely freaked out right after he asked me to marry him because what I think happens with a lot of men is they – they um, finally asked someone to marry when they want to have a kid. So it was sort of all tumbled up in one package. But right after he proposed, I threw my birth control into the ocean, you know, in sort of a show of good faith. And then I immediately thought, just wanted to dive in after it. I was like, what have I done? Of course, years later, I realized that I I was taking birth control completely (laughs) 
I wasn't doing nothing because it was, of course, so hard to have a baby. But at the time, I still thought that was in control of whether or not I was going to get pregnant. And um, I was so nervous about it. So I was a little bit freaked out about the thought of immediately marrying this guy and starting a family with him. And then the wedding itself seemed really overwhelming to me because he's opinionated and, you know, you're you're figuring out how you function as a couple. It's the first thing you kind of manage as a project together. And he just, you know, had big ideas and was really insistent that Sweet Home Alabama be one of the songs. <laughs> and this DJ we had really didn't want it. And um, everything feels magnified. Like, is this how he's going to be forever? This song, Sweet Home Alabama, is this em- emblematic of just he's going to dig in on crazy things? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. Or do I just give in? Does it matter? Anyway, we did play that song at our reception and it went over quite well. Before you married, you did have to deal with money. Yeah, that that continues to be fun, probably. <laughs> I tried to write, honestly, that was one of the hardest things I thought, because, you know, the question of if a woman makes more money, just how does that pan out? I've supported myself for a long time, and I had this house, and Ian um, came into the into our union with a lot of debt and a job he hated where he could make money and he really just did not like corporate law and he had got involved in some pro bono work defending Guantanamo Bay detainees. Now he does prisoner rights and I'm so happy he loves what he does now. But he was basically leaving a job that kind of did pay to try to do something that mattered and I was supportive of that in theory. (laughs) But I think I was just trying to tease out in my book how it affects things. And I know I was working at Modern Family for a while with guys who were kind of joking, complaining about their wives spending so much money on things. And for men, it's kind of bragging rights to talk about your spouse spending a lot of money. But there's no world in which women can, you know, my husband bought a Jeep he didn't need and some pot. You know, it's like (laughs) there's not really a great place to laugh about those things with people without women kind of judging you. But we just kind of had to work out a system that worked for us of, you know, how to just try to make the money not an issue we dealt with every day. And what would come up for you when you would, like in the very back of your head, the things that you couldn't say out loud? I guess part of me feels like he doesn't really get to decide these things since I'm the one making the money, <laughs> more of the money. And and that's not necessarily true or a good way to think. But And I sometimes think, have men been feeling this way a long time? You know, I think there's just a different thing built into our society for when women who are supported by men have opinions versus men who are largely supported by women. But it's still an uncomfortable conversation especially saying this right here into the radio with no feedback. I just imagine men and women at home with their jaws dropping going, well, I feel either women will judge me and think, why would you marry someone who isn't contributing and feel very judgmental about that? Or feel, well, shut up. You're lucky that you make enough to support the two of you. And men have been doing that for a long time. And there's just not a really great forum for this. (laughs) No. And you admit that also in your book, the feeling of like, shouldn't I have more control and decision making because of what I'm bringing financially? Yeah, like vacations. I just sometimes think, don't I get to decide? But yeah, but then he'll have ideas and we'll do them and we'll have so much fun. You know, he definitely is more of a partner in every other way 
non-financial way than anybody I could imagine. I mean, he's really involved in raising our daughter and he's a great support and partner for me and, you know, reads what I write and I love the work he does. So, you know, if you could just take that money part out of it, it's all really good. But that money part is a strain. Coming up, Cindy tells me about a relationship she's been in for even longer than her marriage, the one with her beloved therapist. She's seen me through the whole thing. <laughs> she's got like the whole the whole parade of men. I saw her just in some moments where I'm sure she was just like, okay, now you're off track. You might remember that the team traveled to New Orleans last month. We talked to people about the 10 years of rebuilding after Hurricane Katrina and about some of the other things that have happened in their lives since, like running for political office, starting a new business, mourning a mother. One of the people I talked to was just beginning the adoption process when Katrina hit. That was delayed. But five years after the storm, she and her husband brought home a little boy from China. We know where he was found. We know the orphanage he was placed in. Um, We went to visit it, we met some of the people, but there are a lot of question marks, and um, I wish I had those answers, and I mainly um, wish that I could speak to his birth mom. I mean, I wish that I could send her a little picture of him, Um, and I miss that in such a profound way that I just never knew was possible to miss somebody that you've never met before. Look out for our stories from New Orleans next week. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure— how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. While we talked, I told Cindy Shupak I was getting married really soon. What sort of advice do you have for me? Well, one, I guess a lot of things. I mean, I'm not afraid of therapy with your husband. And, you know, I brought almost every boyfriend I ever was about to break up with to therapy. So if you did a montage on my therapist couch, you would have almost everyone I ever dated. And then... (laughs) And then I brought Ian, and he was the first person who it felt like we actually got somewhere. And we don't have a stigma that we're breaking up because we're going. And we just go for tune-ups. We don't go all the time. But I think we, when we were going through trying to have a baby, there we were very – there are just times when, you know, I couldn't reassure him in the way he needed reassuring or – or he was kind of exhausted and tired and sad, and I was exhausted and tired and sad. And sometimes that works to your benefit because you can you both understand what you're going through. But other times you just don't have the gas left to give the person what they need. And just kind of thinking of it as an emotional flu, like sometimes you just have an emotional flu. And even though 
you can't explain why you need to be in bed or watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for four hours or, you know, whatever it takes to just unplug and recharge. Um, you can't always explain why that's going to help. And it might look to your partner like, is this what I think I my fear is or maybe Ian's fear is, is this who you're turning into? So now you're going to be this person in pajamas watching The Real Housewives. You know, there's always that fear when you're married. <laughs> is this it? Is this going to be the rest of our lives? So I would say whenever you get that feeling, just try to remember it. It is. It doesn't have to be the rest of your life. It might just be today and it's okay. During the hardest moments, has either of you talked about the option to leave? Yeah. I think part of my evolution dating was that I got used to, I can get out of a relationship I'm not happy with. I can leave at any moment. I don't have to just be the sad girl who's broken up with. I could leave if this isn't what I want. And I and I did break off some relationships. And I think I still had that empowerment when I went into the marriage. Like, if this doesn't work for me, I am out of here. I just felt always on the edge of, I could leave this. And it felt comforting to feel that way. Um, and I don't can't remember what changed that I started to realize, like, I don't, you know, the thing may probably what changes Ian never did that. He never threw that around. He was trying the old, uh, let's try to solve this problem before we go to sleep. And if I was running off to a hotel, which I would do sometimes, <laughs> that's, that's the new version of running off to your mother's house. I would run off to a hotel. <laughs> um, so um, I think at a certain point, he also kind of threatened that he wasn't sure it was right. And that really scared me because he had always been solid and I had always been the histrionic one. And when he also let that in as a possibility, I realized how hurtful it was and that I shouldn't be just throwing that around. Were you married when Ian first said that? Yeah, it was it was pretty it was several years in, I think, before he threatened that. And it was like, what? (laughs) You're not not supposed to say that. Right. I can say I'm leaving and you convince me to come back. Yeah, it was scary to hear and to think it might be real. I mean, we've gone through some rough patches and I can't I don't even know. It was just when we were both out of gas, really. I mean, just um, not any one thing. Just sometimes it felt like we were so out of gas with just life and work and you know, sometimes you just need to say aloud how how frustrated you are and then you're better to let it not be a seething secret, I guess. So your book is called The Longest Date, Life as a Wife. And uh-huh. reading it as someone who's about to become a wife, it just reminded me again about how prospective the decision to get married is. Uh-huh. Can you tell Water, me? Did you did the book make you feel nervous or more relaxed? No, it about sort of it made me feel like, oh, you think that there's this work you can do to be prepared, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's this <laughs> grand illusion. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you just have to trust that you're going to be able to tackle things as they come. I have found letting go of control is really the lesson of marriage for me. I didn't realize what a control freak I was till I had someone. I was married to who I could not control. (laughs) And I would say just, you know, my own life and especially being in the same house I was in before where everything was kind of ordered and like I was a total neat freak. But I just I wrote there. It was my kind of oasis. I was in control of it. And then this man, his things, this St. Bernard, now this child, we're in the same house and um, it's so full of life. There's life in my life now. And it's big and messy and out of control, but it's what was missing. And I 
you know, it's not easy to embrace sometimes if you're used to being able to feel like you can have the answers and you have you can control it. You just can't. But that's the nature of love and that's kind of what's great about it is it you end up going places and learning things about yourself that you wouldn't have otherwise. So it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> Cindy Shupak. She's currently working on a new HBO show starring Sarah Jessica Parker. It's called Divorce. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, James Ramsey, Rachel Aronoff, Benjamin Franklin, and Joe Plourd. Special thanks to Anna Hyatt for her help on this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. You can email us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And next week, look out for our stories from New Orleans. So Cindy Schupack wrote about the good and the bad about life as a wife. What she hears back, what a great husband she has. I really tried to make sure that I was examining what part of it was my fault. And maybe I just went a little too far because <laughs> it comes off really well. In fact, at one point I was like, you are not allowed to leave me for someone who reads the book and thinks you're dreamy. <laughs> that would be the opposite of what I'm trying to accomplish with this book. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.